Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Wednesday, November 8th. Today, with a Colorado Sun election analysis coming Thursday, John Ingold and Michael Booth move up their temperature podcast by a day and talk about the state's failure to cut carbon emissions and some worrisome growth in COVID numbers. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pinnacle Assurance. Pinnacle Assurance is Colorado's top-rated workers' comp provider, according to the businesses and workers they serve. With a commitment to Colorado, Pinnacle invests in workplace safety and provides care to help injured workers recover and return to work safely. Pinnacle. They put care to work. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. Doc Holliday, a notorious gambler and gunslinger of the American West, died quietly of tuberculosis in Glenwood Springs on this day in 1887, at the age of 36. Born in Georgia in 1851 and initially trained as a dentist, he turned to gambling and gunfighting, drifting through the West in the 1870s. He gained fame for his involvement in the 1881 gunfight at the OK Corral in Tombstone, alongside Wyatt Earp. After pursuing the Cowboys gang with Earp, Holiday dealt cards in Trinidad and Pueblo before coming to Denver, where he was seized on May 15th to face trial in Arizona. Sympathetic authorities in Pueblo trumped up charges against him to delay the process, a tactic Colorado lawyers thereafter called holidaying. Governor Frederick Pitkin rejected extradition, and Holiday eventually joined up with Earp in the boomtown of Gunnison. His lifelong battle with tuberculosis worsened with altitude and consumption of alcohol. Holiday met up with Earp and Masterson in Silverton in 1883 and last saw Earp in Denver in 1885. Despite his violent life, his end came peacefully. Holiday's passing marked the end of a short and infamous era. Before we continue, another quick message. AARP Colorado is proud to sponsor this podcast with the Colorado Sun. With Colorado being one of the fastest-growing states in the nation among older adults, AARP Colorado strives to ensure all Coloradans can age in place for as long as possible and age with dignity. Next, our feature story. Well, hi, everyone. Happy Wednesday. Uh, This is John Ingold. I'm the healthcare reporter from the Colorado Sun. Uh, Joining me is my colleague, Michael Booth, who covers uh, climate and environment. Uh, If you're frequent listeners of the podcast, you know that you usually hear us on Thursdays, uh, where we talk about all the latest uh, news and and talk about what we featured in our newsletter that's called The Temperature, that covers both health and climate news. We're coming to you a day early today because our politics team, who would usually be joining you in this space, uh, wanted a little extra time to uh, report out and parse through the election results. So they will be joining you tomorrow to provide all the the great updates and analysis that uh, they usually do. And Mike and I are, are joining you a day early. So, hey, Mike, how's it going? Hey, John. And yes, we are ready to talk about depressing climate or health news on almost any day of the week, but we also try to at least get some of the potentially positive and uplifting things out of it. And we'll do that again today. Yeah. Yeah. Locked and loaded. So uh, we are going to start on maybe a bit of a down note, Mike, which is uh, looking at uh, climate change emissions and whether the state is on track to meet its target. So you had some breaking news on that yesterday, and maybe you can fill us in on, on what you learned. Yeah, showing up on the website at coloradosun.com today is a story about the state's release of new greenhouse gas, in other words, carbon numbers for Colorado. 
People are tracking it very carefully. The state has set very ambitious goals for itself across the whole economy of how to reduce carbon that contributes to greenhouse gases and global warming. Over the next few years, we have targets for 2025, 2030, 2050, and we need to know if we're actually meeting any of those benchmarks with all the policy changes that the state and local regulators have put in place over the last few years. And the news from this is, again, depending on which side you're on, either glass is 85% full or that 15% empty represents a lot of tons of carbon that still need to come out of the economy. The basic numbers are that for the 2030 effort to get to about a 50% carbon reduction across the entire Colorado economy from a 2005 benchmark where we started all this, we're about 12 million tons of carbon short to reach that goal under current policy restrictions. And one thing they're quick to point out is that there are still some things that need to be put into place that they're not even counting in that 12 million ton gap that could get us closer to there. And so we shouldn't despair yet. Uh, There are some very important things that are still being worked out for 2024 and how to implement policy on oil and gas. For example, we have just passed some major rules and regulations on clean cars, getting to electric vehicle fleet and electric truck fleet over the next few years. So that gap could be scary. On the other hand, it also can represent the fact that we are trending downward and they are going to be making significant cuts between now and 2030. It's just that it's not fast enough under current law. So the other half of that story um, is talking about, okay, well, what else needs to be done? They do acknowledge that we need to do more. And Mike, we uh, talked a couple weeks ago about a surprisingly optimistic report that was looking at carbon emissions that were coming from the electricity generation sec- sector, the the, yep. the power industry, and uh, how that looked like it was actually on pace to do really, really well, maybe even beat out expectations. So where are the, the big sticking points coming from in this report that's now showing like a lot of work left to be done? So if we've done a good job cutting carbon in the electrical sector, the power generation sector, as we talked about on previous podcasts, we are ahead of our goals in that sector. Where is it not working as well? And a couple of those sectors that we talked about today with state officials are transportation, which has been a very stubborn area to get rid of carbon because people don't like to change their driving habits and companies don't like to change their truck's driving habits with a lot of new restrictions. And also in land use planning, the governor and his agencies tried to promote big change in land use planning and building of affordable housing. Last year in the legislature, a lot of it didn't go through because local governments don't like to give up that control. They're going to try it again. The governor's already signaled that he's going to come back with another package of land use changes and uh, rules that would cha- that would promote the building of affordable housing. The way that affects carbon dioxide is you build more affordable housing closer to where people have transit, closer to where people work, closer to where people go to school, and you reduce the number of miles traveled and the number of truck miles traveled as people get to those. So that will have to be redoubled if we're going to try to make up this 12 million ton gap by 2030 and add new ways that we're reducing carbon to the ways we're already doing pretty good job in the power generation field. So we'll keep an eye on that and watch what happens in the legislature. John, your past few days have been reporting on what's going on with COVID, an update on as we enter the indoor season in Colorado, where we are, whether cases are 
on an uptick. So tell us what you've been finding in your reporting. Yeah. So I think we've mentioned this before, but cases are definitely continuing to increase. And the way you sort of track that most effectively now is by looking at hospital data. It's not by looking at the actual case data, because obviously a lot of people are taking at-home tests and maybe not reporting those into the state. So the uh, the number of hospitalizations is increasing uh, as of last week, and these numbers will be updated again uh, today, actually later this afternoon. But as of last week, there were 257 people who were hospitalized for COVID, or sorry, hospitalized with COVID in Colorado. And that is as high as it's been in several months, uh, but certainly not as high as we've ever seen during the pandemic. And in fact, it's it's not even the highest number we've seen so far this year. So what'll be interesting to watch, I think, in these numbers is to see when they start turning around. It's it's really, really common, you know, as as common as something can be that that's only uh, three years old in Colorado. It's really common that Colorado sees an increase in COVID cases right around now, heading right into about Thanksgiving. And then in previous years, we've seen that you would worry about, well, Thanksgiving gatherings, that's going to end up supercharging COVID cases in Colorado. But in fact, the opposite actually ends up happening. We've, we've In previous years, we've seen drops in cases that start occurring right around the last week in November, first week in December. And so it'll be interesting to see if the same pattern holds here. And then, of course, uh, we don't really know why that's the case. There's, there's still obviously a lot that we don't know about how this virus is transmitted. So it will be interesting to see uh, what happens with all that. Do we know much about how people are reacting to the new boosters and whether they're getting them and sorting out when they should get those versus when they should get their flu shots and all those usual fall medical questions? Yeah, so the the numbers are showing a lot less of that. There's been an increase. There's been an increase since uh, July, but uh, in, say, September... Uh, which is the last month that we have full data for, there were uh, 59 deaths from COVID in Colorado. That compares to about 33 in July. Again, these numbers are low in terms of uh, where we've been in in the overall pandemic. Uh, This time last year, we were seeing deaths in the hundreds per month. Um, And certainly at at its peak, uh, way back uh, in in December of uh, 2020, we were seeing deaths over 1,000 a month. So these numbers are low compared to where we've been, but obviously any death is is its own story and its own tragedy, and uh, seeing an increasing number is not great. Well, hoping uh, people will listen to their doctors about vaccination and up those rates, and uh, also take the other precautions about flu and other things that they can control in their lives in Colorado. Thanks for your reporting on John and hope that everybody will take in the election results and follow coloradosun.com's capital folks on the election the rest of this week. And we'll be back again next week with another podcast on the regular day. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. A Durango high school teacher has introduced a Navajo language class to high schoolers this fall, breathing life into a language she fears could be forgotten. Elfrida Begay, who is Navajo, is part of a growing movement to help indigenous students in Durango public schools, representing 31 tribal nations, reclaim their culture by learning to speak Denebazad. 
The program comes as Colorado grapples with its history of discrimination against Native Americans, including mistreatment of Native students who were forced to attend a boarding school that preceded Fort Lewis College in Durango. Thousands of Colorado families have benefited from a college savings plan through a program launched almost four years ago by the state-run nonprofit College Invest. The tax-advantaged plans are free to open and allow families to save for education expenses. The college funds grow free of state and federal taxes, and every dollar can be deducted from state taxes. Parents can open an account even if they don't have any money to personally invest in it after their child is born or adopted and benefit from the state gift, which has grown to $110 as the cost of living has increased. Western Colorado University is working with four Native American tribes to repatriate the remains of 25 natives plundered from their resting places roughly a century ago. The collection reflects a turn of the 20th century era of widespread looting of native lands, when aggressive excavation and an active black market for antiquities fed a fascination with early inhabitants of the American West. The objects had been amassed by a man named Peterson who lived in the southwest corner of Colorado in the 1920s and 30s. When he died in the 1940s, he left the collection to his brother, a graduate of what then was known as Western State College of Colorado. And be sure to go to coloradosun.com for the latest results from last night's election. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.